0: entitled the message this morning, the second meeting. The second meeting. Just let's unite our heart together and we word to prayer as we come to uh, the preaching this morning. Father in heaven, we thank Thee that we worship a triune God and the angels bow down before Thee and cry, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And Lord, we are conscious we're in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We pray that Thou would help us, O God, as we come to this passage of Thy Word. We thank the Lord it is the inspired, infallible Word of the living God. And we ask, Lord, that Thou might teach us and give us the help of the Holy Spirit that we might understand even these verses. O God, draw near and instruct us And bless every waiting heart. To that end, I pray thou would fill us with thy spirit and with power. Give me words that must and shall prevail. Lord, give us those words from thyself this morning. O God, we pray for signs following the preaching of thy word. We ask these things in our Savior's name. Amen. God is a God of the second chance. And the 22nd chance as well. Isn't that proved with Abraham? Remember how in the time of famine he made a prayerless decision to go down into the land of Egypt. He proceeded to compromise the purity of his wife Sarah by saying that she was his sister to Abimelech. You remember also how God met with Jonah the second time. He gave him another opportunity to obey his word. And to go on that great to that great vast city of Nineveh and to preach repentance unto them. And just some weeks ago, we noted how the Lord met with Peter on the seashore. And he was to be restored to the work that God had called him to. And in these verses that we've read this morning, men and women, we're brought to consider the second time that Moses was called of God to go up into the mount. It was during the initial 40 day session that Moses was with the Lord that the children of Israel had sinned against God down below. They had made the golden calf and they were worshipping it. And at that time Moses was given instruction concerning the making of the tabernacle and he was also given the two tables of stone of the moral law written by the very finger of God. And it was when Moses descended from that mount, you remember, and he suddenly sees what was going on, the debauchery and the sin in the camp of Israel, that he threw down those tables and they broke. And hence the reason why he needed to meet with God this second time in the mount. By this uh, going up into the mount again, leaving the camp of Israel behind, this second absence of Moses, was also needful to test the sincerity of the nation's repentance. This was, that they had been given another opportunity to prove their loyalty to God. You know, we can apply that to ourselves. When we seek forgiveness from the Lord for our sin, He grants it. But to see how sincere we are, He often will prove us by that trial or that test being uh, re- revealed to us again and being repeated, and that trial is an opportunity for us to strengthen our faith and to reveal to others that it is real. It is noteworthy here, and both these times that Moses was with God in the mount, we read that he neither did he eat bread nor did he drink water. You look at the words of verse twenty-eight of this chapter. And he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. He's so taken up with God that the appetites of the flesh are given little attention. Something that emphasizes, does it not, the great spirituality of Moses and how we like it so much when it comes to the worship of our God in these days. Or oh, like Christ, Moses could say, and my meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. I want us just then for the few moments this morning to look at this second meeting with God as we have it in these verses in Exodus chapter 34. You'll notice first of all the principle Be ready in the morning. Those are the words of the Lord to Moses. You'll notice them in verse 2. Moses had to present himself before God and he needed to prepare himself. And is that not a powerful reminder that one day all of us We'll have to present ourselves before the God of heaven and of earth. That will either be a time of sorrow and terror or for the child of God, it will be a time of great blessing depending on how we've prepared ourselves. How do we prepare ourselves? The gospel. There it is the answer. The gospel is the specific instruction that every man needs in order to prepare himself to meet God. You notice the principle here in the recopying of the law. Verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, "Hew thee two tables of stone, like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. The message being spoken to the nation was that although God had forgiven them, and didn't, uh, didn't uh, that mean, of course, that... Uh, He was going to be uh, present with them again as Moses sought them as we looked at in the last part of the previous chapter. But it didn't mean that the law of God had been set aside. The law had not been done away with. The blessing of having the Lord's presence with them again, it didn't come apart from His precepts. God did not separate privilege from the keeping of His law. How different that is to how ordinary man thinks today. You know, many a man in the street wants the blessing. Many a man wants the privileges. But he's not interested in the regulations or the precepts. And dear child of God, if you ever wanted to see that those who are redeemed by God's grace are not freed from the law, then you have it in these verses. The difference being that God's redeemed are still under the law not as a condition of salvation but as a divine rule for our walk. There's the difference. If we fail in one part of the law we fail in it all. That's why we can't be saved by the law because we're all sinners we've all uh, broken God's law been birthed by nature, by practice. It is not even a condition of salvation, it is a divine rule for our walk. In the context of that oft misquoted verse in Romans 6 verse 14 where it says, you're not under the law but under grace. In the context, that is not speaking about our walk. That is speaking about God's salvation. We can't be saved by the law. The law points us to Christ. He's the only one that can save us because He fulfilled the law of God on our behalf. We're still obligated to obey God's moral law. It is a divine standard for right and for wrong. God still desires that we have no other gods before Him. He still desires that we remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. He still desires that we don't covet, that we don't bear false witness. And so we could go on. It's not done away with. And doesn't that be seen even in this very first verse? Doesn't this command from God also teach us that God is immutable? Now That's a big word. It simply means unchanging. It's unchangeable. And so the people had broken God's law because of their sin, but God's terms had never changed. And so Moses was required to make those two tables of stone like unto the first. God is unchanging. God didn't set aside the law. That's why Moses had to meet with God a second time. You see the early rising, verse 2, Be ready in the morning and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. Having to hew those stones, having to meet with God at a particular place, necessitated that Moses gave time to climb that mount the next morning. And therefore we ought not to be surprised that we read in verse 3 that he rises early. He rose up early for he was to present himself before God. He was loathed to lose out on any time. Men and women is a very, very practical application there. That's why we congregate in the house of God at half eleven or seven or eight thirty. It's not just to meet with me. It's to have a meeting with God. It's to worship him. And we prepare ourselves. And it may mean getting up that little bit earlier. And getting ready so that we're here, that we don't lose out on any time with the Lord. If we're going to obey the Lord, if we're going to serve Him faithfully, we'll need to be prompt in doing our duty. That may sometimes mean rising up early in the morning. It it certainly will mean us preparing ourselves. And did you see it? The command from God was, He was to come alone. No other was with Him. No animal was to come with him. You look at the words of verse 3. No man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor herds feed before that mount. If we're going to be privileged to see something of the Lord's glory, then we too must be prepared to do what? To get alone with God. That's what Moses was doing here. He's getting alone with God. And the matter of approaching God ought not to be thought upon as something lightly because Moses did as the Lord commanded. Then we're about to see how the Lord drew near. But I want you to see before we get there, you notice the recognition that God, of God, that this ought to reveal unto us. Verse 3, Let no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount. Mount Sinai. was off limits for the people. And neither was he this time to be joined by others. And all of this surely emphasizes and underscores to us what we've been singing this morning. It is the holiness of God. God is a holy God. That he cannot be approached by sinful man without death being the end result. That's why we ought to be so thankful for the person of the Lord Jesus Christ for because of him the only mediator between God and man, the only one that can stand between. We are able to draw near. We are able to approach unto our God non-daring to make us afraid. By his death, by his resurrection, he has opened up the door for sinful man to have fellowship with the Holy God. By the blood of his cross, sin has been dealt with. And all barriers to God have been removed for the one who comes by faith in Christ. You see, we read in Hebrews chapter 7 in the words of verse 25, Wherefore he is able to also deceive them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. You want to know the God, the Father? You want to come to God? There's no other way other than through the Lord Jesus Christ. We're able to draw near and nigh all because of Him. He is the mediator. And so we do assured of a welcome there all because of Him. There's a line of a hymn that states it like this. So near, so very near to God I cannot be for in the person of his Son, I am as near as he. not that wonderful? Is that your experience? It can only be through Christ and God's so great salvation. There is the principle. But I want you to notice this morning also, and I don't think we'll go much further than this, but the person of God. It's when Moses arrived at the appointed place that we read in verse 5 that the Lord descended in the cloud. And he was to reveal himself as he had promised to Moses the day before. You remember, if I can just take you back uh, to the previous chapter. And and Moses said uh, even to the Lord, verse 18, I beseech thee, show show me thy glory. He wanted God to reveal himself. And he said, verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And the Lord tells him how that's going to happen. Shall come to pass. Verse 22, my glory passeth by that I will put thee in the cleft of the rock. I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And men and women there is what Moses requested and what God promised. And now it's going to be revealed this next day. Just think of the nearness as it is expressed here in verse 5. And the Lord descended in the cloud. But then we have those special standout words. And he stood with him there. He stood with him there. You might quickly read over that, but that would be to your detriment. Moses could have hoped for no greater blessing. No one better could have stood with him than the Lord himself. As those pivotal moments in life, you know, so it's always encouraging to have those who stand with us. And maybe you're going to an interview and your friend says, I'll come with you. Or maybe you're going for some other appointment. Maybe you have to go to the dentist. You don't like the dentist. I'll go with you. But men and women, no greater moments in life other than those least where we take the battle to the enemy in the cause of Christ. And while there are those whom people may choose not to have stand with them, there's no one who minds the Lord's presence being there. And no, no one else stands with us apart from the Lord. That's better than having all the world with us and not having God. We ought to desire the Lord standing near in all that we seek to do in every place that we seek to go to. Remember Romans reminds us, Romans 8, if God be for us, then who can be against us? And it says, "The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. The nearness of God involved a particular place. Underline it. I would, I would, if you're in the practice of underlining your Bible, do it. He stood with him there. God stands with His people at a specific place. They're there is the appointed place of His will. God made known to Moses where He wanted him to be that morning. It was in His will that He would be on the top of the mount with Him. Get ready in the morning, He said, and come up into the mor- into the, in the morning unto Mount Sinai and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. It was his will that he would be there with him. It was there that he stood with him. I wonder, can I ask individually, do you know where that there is in your life? The will of God for you is where you will also have the Lord standing with you. And if you're not there yet, then make sure you get there. That you might know the support of the Lord. That you might know the Lord standing with you. And if you're in a place spiritually where you're not in the will of God, get away to the place where you have to be in the will of God. And you'll know the Lord there. Isn't it a wonderful thing that the Lord descended to where Moses was? It reminds us surely of humility. Humility. God descended in the cloud on that mount and stood with them there. It's hard to picture your mind what that must have looked like. But there's humility. And is it not personified in the person of Christ? Who being in the form of God, Paul writes in Philippians 2, thought it not robbery to be equal of God, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And being found in a fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Make sure, man or woman, that you give up pride, that you give up position, that you give up popularity with the world, so that you may be found standing, standing with God. having moved downward, having moved sidewards to Moses, he then moved forward. Because the Scripture says here, For the Lord passed by before him. Verse 6. The Lord passed by before him. Even a passing view of the Lord's glory is life-changing. You know, this great experience that Moses had was to have a vision so bright, so radiant, that the effects of it were seen on his face when he returned to the people from that mind. You turn over to, toward the end of the chapter. We didn't read it. Verse 35, last verse says, And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. Such was the effect of the glory of the Lord. He just radiated it. But the people couldn't bear it. They had to put the veil over the face. It was that which was life-changing. After 40 days in the mount, his face glowed. Although we might have the experience of Knowing that rich nearness of God's presence, His glory revealed to us as we get alone with Him. But I want you to notice the name of God here in verse 5. And it says, The Lord descended in clouds stood with Him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Verse 6, And the Lord passed by before Him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. Uh, there's plenty there. Maybe we could just step our way through it. God proclaimed His name before Moses. To proclaim the name of God means that we proclaim His character, His nature, His attributes. And we should see and we should learn the instruction that Moses received that day from the Lord God. There is His power. Or you see that, you might say. Verse 6, The Lord. The Lord God, that's Jehovah. Jehovah Elohim. The name that speaks of the self-existence. The self-sufficiency of our God. You know, minimum and God doesn't depend or doesn't need to depend on anyone else. We're different, of course. We depend on others to help us and to do things for us when we're as a child we depended on our mother to feed us. When we maybe get older, we're depending on others to look after us as well. But God is self-sufficient. He doesn't depend on anyone. He is, as revealed to Moses at the burning bush, I am that I am. God can do anything He wants, where He wants, whenever He wants. There's no power like His equal. And that power was seen to be superior You remember in the plagues of Egypt? He's superior to all other Egyptian gods. They couldn't do anything against those plagues. And eventually Pharaoh chased, drove out the children of Israel. And in the revelation we have revealed to us that Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. If we are to know God rightly, then it is to know that our God is all-powerful and He is powerful to save and He's powerful to deliver. There's His power. Then there's the goodness of God. He proclaims Himself as merciful and gracious, long-suffering, And abundant in goodness and truth. There's a stacking up there of words that describes the greatness of God's mercy and His goodness. And while many of those words are similar, yet there is a detail uh, giving particular emphasis for every one of them. Merciful. Gives the idea of being pitiful or tender. Even at Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai that is known for thee and associated with law and associated with judgment. We yet have it emphasized that God is merciful. And God shows a great revelation of His mercy in order to encourage sinners to repent. Merciful? Then He's gracious. He only bestows mercy on us because of His grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. It's grace that is the foundation for distributing mercy. What about long-suffering? His mercy involves His patience. If the Lord was not patient with us, if the Lord wasn't long-suffering, then none of us would be saved. But despite our continued rebellion and rejection, he gave us repeated opportunities and showed his mercy toward us. Why? He's long-suffering. Is that not depicted when Noah built the ark? And Noah, that preacher of righteousness, he preached for 120 years, and in the, those years he built the ark. Why? God was giving opportunity for men and women to enter into that ark before the judgment. And we're still in the day of God's grace and God is still long-suffering and He's still ministering unto those that are yet in their sin that you might come, that you might repent of it and that you might turn to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. He is, we read in that verse 6, abundant in goodness and truth. Matthew Henry, the great commentator, he said reference to this, the springs of mercy are always full. The streams of mercy always flowing. There's mercy enough in God, enough for all, enough for each, enough forever. And he likewise is abundant in truth. God will be merciful to the sinner. Why? Because he's truth. He doesn't tell lies. He doesn't tell half-truths. He is truth. He is one who can be dependent upon the truth of the Lord endureth forever. And as you read in the words of verse 7, that means you can trust His keeping mercy to last forever. You see, it says in verse 7, keeping mercy for thousands. Nowhere is this better seen than in the security of the child of God. The Savior Himself said, I give unto My sheep eternal life. John so chapter 10, And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I give unto my sheep eternal life. The believer does not keep themselves. It's the Lord who does the keeping. And then you'll notice verse 7 is forgiveness. Because it says keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, uh, then that will by no means clear the guilty. Forgiving iniquity. And we here's another piling up of words. We could put it all under sin. But there's three different words there emphasizing the greatness of God's forgiveness. And that ought to come with power to the one who thinks maybe sitting in the house of God this morning that they're beyond God's forgiveness. And God could never forgive me and never want to forgive me. And then you don't know my sin, preacher. No, I don't. But God does. But God's forgiveness is able to reach down where you are today and lift you up from the mire clay. Set your feet on the rock, Christ Jesus. God is ready to forgive. Even more ready than we are to forgive ourselves. But the condition is also found in Psalm 86 and verse 5. It is to all them that call upon thee. For those who will not humble themselves, for those who will not call upon the Lord to be their Savior, then they'll never experience the forgiveness of God. Let me ask you, have you called? He called upon the Lord to forgive you. In this list of the character of the person of God, there's also His judgment. Verse 7, And that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. Their first is His mercy, then there follows His judgment, His justice, cannot be forgotten. Oh, he's a God of love. Thank God he is. But he's also a God of holiness. So, he not only shows mercy to sinners, he also brings judgment upon sinners. And while there are people, and uh, they only want a God of love, they don't want to hear of anything else, yet we must have a God of judgment in order to have a righteous God. Without judgment, God doesn't be God. Do you understand that? He is holy, holy, holy. For being holy, he must, and he will punish sin. And in these words you'll have a note on the very scope of God's judgment. It's on to the third and to the fourth generation. The finger of blame cannot be pointed at the Lord God for being unfair. The blame for all sin lies with man. And judgment is the consequence of his sin. And these words are simply an eternal statement about the extended curse of sin which goes on for generations. Is Israel not a prime example in their sufferings because of the sins of their ancestors? Many centuries and generations ago. You just think of that. You know, it's really fulfilling what they asked. Do you remember what they said at Calvary? And Pilate came out and he washed his hands. He says, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. Verse 25, Matthew 27 says this, Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. You want your wash your hands of his blood. We're not going to. His blood be on us and on our children. And Israel to this day suffers because of the sins of our ancestors. And thank God, yet the Lord will be merciful to Israel. And yet they will look upon him whom they have pierced. Not the greatest mystery of all. We are all suffering today because of the sin of our first parents. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That's why there's death in this world. Yet in considering the judgment of God, it's a great incentive for people to stop disobeying the Lord and to obey His Word. There is something of the person of God. You know, there's only one reaction from Moses when he heard this word from the Lord and when he was given this revelation. We haven't time to fully explore it this morning. But it is summed up in verse 8. It simply says, And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. That's all he could do. And the Lord revealed himself to him. As he had asked even that previous day. And all he can do is make haste and protract himself before God. He's moved by this divine manifestation. His heart was greatly stirred within him. And he bows down and he worships. Oh, that men and women are hearts would be moved as well. I don't think we would do it justice just to rush on and to see the full extent of his response. We'll leave that to you again. But may our hearts be moved. May we have a fresh recognition, really, of who God is, of who we worship. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. And he is the Lord God. And He is merciful. And He is gracious, long-suffering. He is abundant in goodness and truth. He is one that keeps mercy. He is one, praise His name, that forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. Why can He do that? How can He do it? All because of Christ. All because of the work of the cross of Calvary. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's the gospel. Anything that we have today, any blessing that we enjoy is because of Christ. Oh, may that warm our hearts, move our hearts, that all that we can do is bow down in adoration before Him. May the Lord bless His Word to each of our souls this morning. For his own name's sake. We'll sing number six in closing. Raise my soul, the King of heaven. To his feet thy tribute bring. Ransom, heal, restored, forgiven. Who like thee his praise should sing. We'll sing verses one, one, three, and 5, number six. 1, 3 and 5, we'll stand as we sing it. Our God, we thank Thee for Thy Word. We thank the Lord for a little revelation of who Thou art, and of how Thou didst reveal Thyself even to Moses on the Mount. We thank the Lord that didst not set aside the law, but Thou didst give it again, uh, to be written on that second time on those tables. And O oh, Father, Thou art one who's unchanging. Thank the Lord Thou art unchanging in Thy mercy. And thou art unchanging in thy grace and in thy, un- and thy forgiveness of iniquity, of transgression and sin. And oh God, unchanging even in thy judgment. Lord, we praise thee, Lord, for the person of Christ by whom we can draw nigh unto thee, the one who bore our sins and iniquities in his own body, that we might be saved, that we might, Lord, have that personal relationship with God. Lord, I pray that I would speak to those yet not saved have never called upon the name of the Lord to forgive them. Oh, God, of mercy. And even bring them to Christ this morning. Bless those that will leave at this time, go before each one. Bless those that will remain, even around the table, we pray in our Savior's name. Amen.